You're listening to the Seahawks Insiders. Cam Chancellor comes up and just unloads. Number 31, clean his clock. Getting you ready for Seahawks football every Sunday. Russell has time, fires down the middle. Got his man, Baldwin. He is in. Touchdown, Seahawks. Doug Baldwin again. Powered by Seahawks.com. Welcome to the Seahawks Insider Podcast as we bring you the look ahead to the Seahawks game against the Arizona Cardinals. Jen Mueller, sideline reporter for the Seattle Seahawks, alongside John Boyle from Seahawks.com. And John, I assume that if we're just sitting here casually talking football, all of your Christmas shopping is done, everything's ready. Most of it. I got to give credit to my wife, though. She did put in a lot more work than me. So, But yeah. Could, do, could tie up a few loose ends between now and then, but uh, I'm, I'm close enough. You know what I realized about Christmas before we really dive into the game? Because our game is on Christmas Eve, so I know that this is going to be on the minds of a lot of people. I like gift giving. I particularly like gift giving for birthdays. I'm kind of tired of wrapping presents for gift giving at Christmas. That I'm not done with. Yeah, it it takes so much more time. I think, oh, no, it's only going to take me like 90 seconds to do this. And then an hour and a half later, when I have wrapped six presents, I am finally done. So I'm glad that everything is wrapped. It is under the tree. What I didn't feel like wrapping, it goes in a stocking because we don't wrap the presents that go in a stocking. See, when you have a toddler, you can't put the gifts under the tree. No. They'd be open already. So Hmm. she's very into ripping things open. Well, she's going to be so stoked on Christmas morning then. And hopefully the Seahawks are stoked on Christmas morning, too. And hopefully that means that they are coming off a win against the Arizona Cardinals. And we're going to get into this matchup in just a little bit because I think it's an intriguing one despite the records and despite what the stats say about Arizona. But first, the stats and the numbers say that four Seahawks land on that Pro Bowl team. And it is the first time for Cliff Averill, who is nine years into his NFL career, And I think he's been deserving of it long before now. But to see him get that, John, you saw the smile on his face a day after. It was pretty big. Yeah, I mean, it's cool for anybody, whether it's, you know, Richard Sherman getting it for whatever the fourth, fifth time. But when it's a guy, it's not only his first time, but it's his first time after a long career. You can can see how they really appreciate that. Because, you know, it's not so much that obviously no one wants to play in the game because you want to be in the Super Bowl and all that. It's, It's just the that people recognize you and that kind of status it gives you that, that does mean something to those guys as much as, you know, the focus is always the team and winning first, you know, everyone has an ego to some degree and it's nice when people appreciate the work you do. And then in football, there's very few individual honors better than being called a pro bowler. Right. I think that works in any line of work. You want to be recognized in what you do, but I would say, you know, especially for Cliff to come so late in his career and remember his rookie season, and 16 did not win a game in Detroit. He has seen the highs and lows in his career. No kidding. It's it's easier for him to talk about now because he's, Recovered nicely from it. But, yeah, to go from being on that winless team as a rookie to his first year here, he comes in along with Mike Bennett. They signed a day apart, which is always kind of a cool little nugget in Seahawks history. But, yeah, he wins the Super Bowl. He's been to another one. Now he's a pro bowler. I mean, it's it's been an interesting career for him, but a very successful one. Yeah, and it helps erase some of that stigma because he talked about that too. You know, when you are on a winless team, there's a stigma that comes oh, along sure. with it. It's really hard to get rid of it. 
unless you win a Super Bowl and then you're not talked about it in the same light. But I thought it was interesting hearing some compassion for the Cleveland Browns and knowing that, um, you know, the Browns need to take care of business and win a game, but nobody from that Lions team wants anybody to yeah, feel like it, that. it'd be easy to think like, oh, well, if you were on that Lions team, you're rooting for the Browns to lose because then they, they take some of that stigma. But no, having... Having been through that, those guys, Cliff Averill included, don't really want to see anyone else have to live through it. No, no. And Cliff and Michael, you mentioned, are really good friends. They trained together on the offseason in Hawaii. Cliff Averill said he wished he had the hand speed and the technician-type skills that Michael Bennett has at the line of scrimmage. Michael Bennett said he wished he had the speed that Cliff does rushing off the edge, and both of them deserve a little bit of blame for the sack dance. Yeah, yeah, they do. I mean, Michael Bennett ultimately was the one doing it, so he's going he's gonna to get the flag and, and the punishment for that. But as Michael Bennett pointed out, Cliff Averill was not exactly trying to talk him down from that celebration. Right. He, he was right in there kind of egging it on. Yeah. So, uh, yeah but as, it, as, it's a good time, though. That's right. As Michael Bennett said, friends don't let friends do that. And yeah, apparently well. on this team, that um, does not necessarily hold true. No. All right. So let's talk about the other pro bowlers. You mentioned Richard Sherman. He has been consistently good since coming into the league. And still has the respective quarterbacks. Of course. And it's funny now. He's gotten to this point in his career where, which is unfair for any cornerback, but it's like any game where a receiver might catch, heaven forbid, four passes and a touchdown, which is really rare. People want to say he's slipping or he's not. And it's, I mean, he is still absolutely one of the best cornerbacks in the league and he's playing like it and, you know, leads a team with four interceptions. And as you said, he still has the respect of his peers for sure. I mean, quarterbacks. You know, they're not going to – some avoid him more than others. We've seen Aaron Rodgers over his career barely throwing at Richard Sherman. Some guys do test him, and sometimes it comes back to bite him like the Jets, who you know, yeah. had some success in the first half and threw two picks in the second. Yeah. Yeah, well, I'm glad that you kind of have that comeback because somebody asked me just this morning. It's like, well, you know, how much is how much is Sherm slip? Where Where's his game gone? And I thought, I don't really even think that that's the case. And I kind of got a little miffed and offended on yeah. Sherm's behalf. I mean, behalf, he's, he's not going to get eight, or eight interceptions a year anymore because people don't throw at him enough to. doesn't get the same opportunities. He's still, if you just watch him week in and week out and how little he gives up. I mean, it, it's impossible to cover every route every time. And But when he does give up catches, it's not, you know, you're not seeing him beat over the top. He's not giving up those long touchdowns. He's not giving up the long shots down the sideline. It's, he, he's still awfully darn good at what he does. He is, and so is Bobby Wagner, who yes. continues to be among the league leaders in tackles. He, he is, is the, he league, is the leader league leader, yes. Yes, I don't want to sell him short on that one. He is closing in on a franchise record, and um, he is well-deserving as a pro bowler. Absolutely. I mean, this is, this is his third straight year getting it. He's... Um, you know, you could make an argument. He, he's probably going to be at least in the conversation for defensive player of the year. Uh, as Richard Sherman has pointed out, sometimes being one great defender on a team full of them hurts you in that award. They want the guy that kind of jumps out with all the crazy stats. But yeah, I mean, he's, he needs nine more tackles to break a almost 30 year old franchise record. And I'm bad at math, almost 40 year old franchise <laughs> record. There's a reason we went into writing and broadcast <laughs> yes, and you know, journalism. 1978 yeah. is the year, Terry Beeson. So, uh, yeah, I mean, phenomenal year. He's added a little bit to his game with the pass rush because they're blitzing him more. Um, you know, KJ Wright was talking about this the other day. He's improved in his recognition of routes and his coverage and all that. And just, 
Um, and, and we should mention KJ because those two, what they've been doing this year really goes hand in hand. I mean, they're both great players individually, but so much of what they do is tied together, and they've both just been outstanding. And KJ Wright very easily could have been another pro bowler for this team and still could be. He's an alternate, so mm-hmm. hopefully for his sake, maybe somebody bows out and he gets at least that recognition. Or maybe they don't get a chance to play. Well, that would be at even all. better. At all. Yeah, and I think it's interesting, too, that KJ very easily could be an all pro. Yeah. Because of where the votes come from, and yes, I know that the players now have a say in part of the Pro Bowl, but fans are still voting on that one too. So he could get recognition in other areas, but it is hard when you're talented on a very talented yeah. defense. And there's kind of a log jam too in the way that they rate linebackers. Exactly. We've talked about this before, but it's really hard to be a 4-3 outside linebacker and get that recognition because Pro Bowl and All-Pro just have inside linebacker, outside linebacker. And when you're an outside linebacker, well, so is Vaughn Miller. So is Khalil Mack. And these guys who are also great players, but they do a totally different thing. Mm -hmm. And it stands out a lot more when you have 10 sacks than when you have 100 and whatever tackles but don't have sacks and force fumbles and all that. So, um, I mean, really, unless you're going to kind of differentiate it of 4-3 and 3-4 inside and outside linebackers – it's always going to be tough for the KJ rights of the world to get probably the recognition they deserve. He has certainly been recognized on this team. So all four of the Seahawks pro bowlers come on defense. It is Michael Bennett, Cliff Averill, Bobby Wagner, Richard Sherman. You mentioned KJ is an alternate. Justin Britt is an alternate as well on the offensive line, which brings us to the next iteration of the offensive line because we've got to change again this week at right tackle, which is not usually what you would expect to see in week in a, 16. Yeah, in yeah. a late December game. Well, and Tom Cable, I mean, he was pretty frank about it. It's in a perfect world, that's not what you want. You, I mean, that, that position group, you always hear about continuity and how that matters, and it does. And if you could, I mean, you look at the best offensive line in franchise history, that group in 2005 was together throughout the year, same five guys great group but it just helps so much when you have that but at the same time if you're going to preach competition you got to kind of let guys battle for spots and because of injuries there's been some changes and um give gary gilliam credit it could have been really easy if he lost that job to just kind of go the wrong way and and never really get it back and you wonder about his future here and all that but he he talked about this today how you know he said there was never animosity towards his coaches towards his teammates, towards Bradley Sowell, who took that job from him. It was it made him step back and look at, okay, why'd they do this? What do I need to do to get a job back? What am I not doing? Kind of just look in the mirror, as they say. And he he did enough for them to to give him some, you know, real chance to compete. And, you know, look, if this works out, it's another really good example of why, you know, there's, we always talk about there's a difference between saying you want to have competition and really letting it happen. And a lot of coaches just wouldn't do this this well, time they, of year. No, they would not make the change. No, and they would say, live and die by yeah. that group and let them develop chemistry. Yeah. And, or try yeah. to develop chemistry. And yeah, I mean, it obviously only time's going to tell if this was the right move, but it is true to their philosophy. If you're going to be truly about competition, then you, you let it play out and you hope that it makes you better down the road. And yet the flip side of that conversation is if it doesn't work out as well as you would like, now you've opened yourself up to second guessing, which I think this coaching staff and this team is capable of dealing with. But just so much conversation has gone on around the offensive line. 
And I find it really hard to grade an offensive line. I know that you're looking at rushing yards and rushing attempts, but that doesn't tell the whole story, particularly with the way that the Seahawks run their offense. It's hard to know which assignment was not correct or was correct. And, and I don't like trying to get into dissecting that. So how much of the offense is predicated on the offensive line? How much of the offense, it's just everybody along for the ride. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I mean, you're absolutely right. It's it's pretty impossible if you're not actually in those meeting rooms to know the assignments and both. I always bring up offensive line play and secondary coverages are the yep. two things where it's really easy to watch on TV and say, that guy blew it. You might be completely wrong. It might look like it, but that wasn't his job on that play. So, um, you know, to the offensive line specifically, I, you know, I'm going to rely more on what coaches are telling me because they know. And Tom Cables is straight as shooters there is out here. And, you know, he'll, he'll tell you when they're not playing well. And they've had their ups and downs for sure. Consistency has been the bigger issue than, you know, it's not that they can't play. It's just, you know, they need to put it together. And that was one of the things Pete Carroll mentioned in his press conference this week. It's, you know, they up front, you know, they had the penalties and they just haven't been as clean as they want to be. And they've seen enough as, I mean, they were averaging before this last week, over six yards of carry for a four game stretch, 160 yards a game for that four game stretch. So, it's not that, you know, their their season-long rushing totals aren't great, but Thomas Rawls wasn't there, Russell Wilson wasn't healthy, and since they got those two pieces, a healthy Russell Wilson and Thomas Rawls, they were actually running the ball really well until they ran into the team that has given them more trouble than mm -hmm. any other. So, look, they didn't – I'm not going to argue they played well against the Rams in terms of their running game, but I will say I'm more likely to look at the four games prior to be probably what they more truly are right now than one bad game against a team they pretty much have always struggled against. Yeah, I, I think you do have to take some of those outside factors into consideration. And as Russell Wilson pointed out this week, their big focus has been not their running game, and maybe because they felt like they were starting to get on track, but it's third down conversions. And for the last three weeks, they've converted either 50% or just under 50% on third down conversions. That is a far cry from where they started, and it just felt like a slog in those first six, seven weeks. They could not sustain drives. That hasn't been the problem. The yeah. last couple of weeks, which I think if it, it again, you know, some of those numbers and even the win loss total doesn't look so good. But if you can stay on the field and give Russell a chance to make a play, you're in much better position than um, it, taking a look at some of those other numbers. Yeah, I mean, early on, they had all these games where they're having around a third of their third down conversions and then they went 50 percent against New England dipped a little bit and then like you said they've been right around 50 percent ever since so um it's you know that's there's a reason teams harp on third down and it's it's a very telling stat not just because whether you had success on that play but you tend to be better on third down if you're doing well on first and second down absolutely so when you're running the ball a little bit or you're just getting those short passes early on and all of a sudden you're in those manageable down and distance that's the term you always hear manageable down and distance if they're staying on schedule, they're going to be a good third down team. I mean, Russell Wilson's a great quarterback. They've got the weapons that they should be able to convert if they're just avoiding. And that's where the penalty, that number last week is pretty impressive when you look at all the penalties they had, because that's where you see these drives get killed so often is you mm -hmm. have a false start. It's first and 15, you have a hold second and 20, whatever it is. And it's just so hard once you get behind the sticks like that. Well, and they had 10 fewer offensive plays last week than they did in green Bay. And that's the other thing because, during the middle part of the year, 
And the Seahawks weren't getting enough plays on offense yeah, to that, make any changes or to make a difference. You had four straight games where they were over 60 plays a game. Last game, they were at 58. But again, when you add that with some of those penalties, you are making the most of what you have. Yeah, and that all is so closely tied together. You're you're not good on third down. You're not staying on the field. You're not getting enough plays. And that's when the offense just, you know, we – heard about in those couple of games where they you know they ran fewer than 20 plays in the first half you can't get anything done because you just you haven't seen enough so much of what the nfl is you know is seeing how what's working what's not and then adjusting well if you have a few three and outs and that's the only time you're on the field you can't really make adjustments to that so what does all of that look like going into this game against the cardinals because the cardinals are just playing out the strength, right? They're, they're just playing out the last couple of games. They don't have anything on the line. How contentious does this game get, or will it feel? I think it'll still have kind of the same type of feeling just because I think there's enough, you know, division, rivalry, animosity, whatever you want to call it. You know, Bruce Arians has never been shy about making his comments about other teams and players will chirp and all that. So I don't, I don't think we're going to see the Cardinals come in here lay down by any means. And they – you know, pride's a real thing for these players. And you've got, you know, guys playing for contracts, guys playing for a job the next year. So it's, you know, I, you do always wonder how a team's going to react to being eliminated from the playoffs or like we saw last week, how a team's going to react to a coaching change. But for the most part, I don't think that's a huge factor in the game. I just wonder how much different it looks because these teams are both different since the last game. I mean, the Seahawks are, healthier on offense. They've got different weapons. I was talking to Bobby Wagner today. He's saying, you know, David Johnson's been so good, but they didn't, they weren't as committed to using him in that last game. And he wasn't a big factor. And if, if they can get him going, like he has been lately, all of a sudden their offense could look a lot different. So I don't think we're going to see six, six again. I would not think so. <laughs> no, I think that that's a pretty good bet. And I also know that the defense is certainly motivated to limit those points allowed because they are back in the conversation. They are right it's gonna be there. Close. Two points, right? Is that what separates them? And About, yeah. I think it's two yeah. total points. And so um, there's a chance this week. That there is a chance. I know that Carson Palmer is on pace to throw for 4,000 yards for a second straight year, and Larry Fitzgerald is doing amazing things. And – I think this defense is certainly motivated by the chance to do that again. Oh, for sure. They they know about it, and they know where they – a few of those guys, I, I know Richard Sherman's one of them. He he, he keeps track of this. So yep. They'll, they'll know what's going on. They'll know what they need to do, and they'll head into that last week. They'll be well aware of it. And this week's game is important because it does impact the playoff position and the playoff picture, I should say. There's a chance – the Seahawks lock up the number two seed this week. Yeah, they could. They're not really going to talk about that and focus on it. They just know it's that's what That's what we're here oh, for, John. Yes, that's what they, you're going to talk about. If they win <laughs> and if Detroit helps them out and loses, uh, and Atlanta's the other one, right? Mm -hmm. Atlanta could tie or lose. That's what it is. So they've got, you know, they've got a decent chance, but I think they're more looking at it as they know it's there. They're not pretending that the two seed and the bye isn't out there for them, but they're not – when you hear Pete Carroll talk about not worrying about that, it's not that he doesn't care about it or doesn't know about it. It's that what those other teams are doing, that can't be the focus. You can't worry about that. And that's why before last week, it wasn't even in the conversation at all because they didn't control their own destiny in that. But now that they do, they know that, look, just take care of your own business and you'll be fine. And if they win out, it doesn't matter what those teams do. So 
win these last two games, it doesn't matter. But yeah, you're you're right. They they do have a chance to lock that up this week, so we'll we'll have to see what happens. But that bye would be awfully nice. That would be for a really team that nice. Had a week five bye. That that would be quite nice. That would be nice. And then a win on Saturday would also mean that the Seahawks are perfect at home this year, which. I think means something something to them too because oh, they absolutely. know how much the fans impact those games. Yeah, and it's you know there's a pretty special connection here between the players and fans. So if you can reward those fans with you know every time you go to a game you get to see a win, that's that's nice for the that's fans. <laughs> and you know if yeah. you're, you're spending that money on your tickets, it's nice to go home after a win every every time. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's you know they that's a hard thing to do in this league. It, you know they're the only undefeated home team right now, and they got a chance to finish the year that way for. First time since 2012. I'm feeling pretty good about that. I'm right. feeling pretty good. Maybe Santa comes a little early on Christmas Eve. You don't have to stay up till like midnight to see if Santa comes. Maybe he'll come at about, I don't know, 5, 530. Even earlier, right? Four, the, well, it's a, it's a 125 One. kick, so we should be getting done at what? 430. 435, yeah. We'll give Santa that 5 o'clock window to play with. And then, of course, we will be spending Sunday celebrating and relaxing with family. We hope that you will be doing the same, and we hope that next week we're talking about a Seahawks win against the Cardinals and looking forward to that final matchup against the San Francisco 49ers. Remember, if you missed any of the podcasts, you can check those out at Seahawks.com slash podcast. Please do tune in on the Seahawks radio network for our call of the game on Saturday and read everything that John's got for you on Seahawks.com. We will see you next week.